This is Delilah S. Dawson, and you are listening to The Great Big Beautiful Podcast. Well, we have one of those new talking machines. Now that is something. It plays music right here in our home. Progress is something we can't take for granted. Progress takes a lot of people wanting it and willing to work for it. You are listening to the Great Big Beautiful Podcast. This week on the show... Every once in a while I would try to write a story and I would send it to the New Yorker or the Paris Review and I thought I was this kind of literary guy because that's all that's the kind of stuff I was reading. But one day my brother was working at Barnes & Noble and he said, Hey, Ronnie, check out this book, Harry Potter. It's like the book we read when we were kids. So I checked it out and he said, Oh, here's another cool one. This guy, Philip Pullman, his dark material. So something clicked and I was like, maybe I shouldn't be trying to be the snobby literary guy. I'm, I should write the kind of stuff that I liked when I was a kid. Here's your host, Jamie Green. Hello, and welcome back to the Great Big Beautiful Podcast. You can find us online at thegbbpodcast.com. You can find us on Twitter, Facebook, everywhere on social at thegbbpodcast. You can find us anywhere you download podcasts from, uh, any of your favorite podcast sources. We're probably there. I am your host, Jamie Green. You can find me at The Roarbots everywhere. And uh, welcome back another week. Today, this week, it is just me solo. Uh, I should have had Shiri here with me, as is normal when we're talking to authors. However, Shiri is currently in Seattle, um, very, very, very busy for Emerald City Comic Con. She is on a bunch of panels, she is moderating, she is cosplaying, she is just generally being awesome, as as is her way. So we miss her this week, but she is having the time of her life out in Seattle at Emerald City Comic Con. If you are there this weekend and you're listening to this the week it went up in March of 2019, uh, say hey for, to her and um, and she'll be happy to see you. But this week, we Shiri and I did talk to Ronald L. Smith, who I first discovered with his second book, The Mesmerist, which... Um, is this great book with a twinge of horror and uh, a little bit of supernatural and a lot of darkness. And it turns out that's what many of his books are like. His first book was Hoodoo, which covered a lot of the same um, emotional feelings. He then dipped into the Marvel Universe. He wrote a young adult book uh, about Black Panther that was timed to coincide with the release of the movie. It was Black Panther, the Young Prince. It sort of told a a backstory about a younger uh, T'Challa. And his newest book, The Owls Have Come to Take Us Away, is back in that dark, I guess, quote-unquote, X-Files vibe. It's a middle-grade book about this uh, young boy who lives on an Air Force base in Delaware and is convinced that he has been abducted by aliens. Nobody around him, with very few exceptions, believes him, and he sort of falls into this um, subculture, this underworld of believers in his... of people who live near him. And uh, he, he, he sort of is, is, no one can tell him otherwise that he has been abducted and the aliens are coming back. And it's, it is, it feels very much like a young adult X-Files episode uh, in that he, he falls into this world of believers, but 
it's also very, very creepy. Uh, there's a lot of creepy scenes and a lot of creepy uh, emotions that the book evokes. Uh, but it's great. It's great. His books are great for young readers who are just wanting to dip their toes into that um, horror genre or, or supernatural or just to make them feel a little bit uncomfortable. Uh, every kid needs that, I think, and, and Ronald L. Smith's his books are, are perfect for that. Um, I'm going to stop babbling because I hate when it's just me and I just end up talking. Uh, you guys are here for the interview. Ronald L. Smith, his new book, The Owls Have Come to Take Us Away. Definitely check it out. Check out his previous books, Hoodoo, uh, The Mesmerist, Black Panther, The Young Prince. Uh, you will not be disappointed. Uh, thanks for coming back week after week. Thanks for subscribing. Thanks for listening. Thanks for interacting with us and following us online. We have a lot of great conversations coming up. And uh, until next week, I'm your host, Jamie Green. You can find me at The Roarbots. You can find the show at The GBB Podcast. And I will see you next week. Take care. And I guess this kind of ties into the new book, but I'm just curious what effect being an Air Force kid and moving around um, so much when you were younger has on the stories that you've chosen to tell now as an adult. Wow, I like that. Well, um, the the latest book, you're right, uh, it takes place on an Air Force base, and I grew up on Air Force bases. I'm an Air Force brat, military kid. My dad was in the Air Force. But this is the first book where I've really used that as a backdrop. Um, And I think, overall, the idea of moving from place to place every two years, you know, I had a really scattered kind of childhood. And... uh, while that might not be reflected in my previous books, I think what it did do was give me a love for libraries because every time we went to a new school, I would find the library. And that was always my kind of safe space, right? Because I knew there would be books there and there would be places I could, I could go to Narnia. I could, I could venture to Middle Earth. Because when, you were, when you're in the military and you move every two years, you know, you're 9, 10, 11, 12 years old, you make friends. For two years and then they're gone. Yeah. So it was kind of like uh, I look back on it as an adult, and I think it was a great thing to see so much of the country and the world. But uh, as a little kid, it's it's pretty rough. So I always found libraries and reading to be the kind of constant in my young life. But uh, with the owls have come to take us away. That's the first time I've actually used an Air Force base as a as a backdrop because it is a really kind of strange subculture that not everybody knows about, and I know it really well. So. Yeah. The book also touches sort of on a topic that I personally haven't seen much of in, in YA or in children's in children's fiction, though I might admittedly might not have just been looking for it. But uh, the book is primarily about alien abductions and, and this your main character is obsessed with them and feels that he has been abducted. And that's what the you know, the, the, the main driver of the plot. What led you to that story? Like what what? What made you want to tell that story that seems to be such a, an odd fit in, in the genre? Uh, that's a good question. Well, you know, there are lots of sci-fi books for middle graders and, and young adults. And uh, this is more of a contemporary story with a, with a little bit of a fantastical bent. You know, when it was being pitched, it was kind of like uh, the curious incidents of the dog in the nighttime meets Stranger Things. Mm. Um, I have way too much knowledge about alien abductions and UFOs and all that kind of crazy conspiracy stuff. I've watched too many shows on the History Channel. <laughs> so I've always been fascinated by it. And the joke in my family is that I can't remember my childhood. 
<laughs> Maybe because we moved around so much, I don't know. But I just there there aren't a lot of things I remember, but. I started thinking, well, maybe I was abducted when I was a kid, and they wiped my memory. That's what it was. So this has always hung around in my head. You know, it's freaked me out at various times in my life, even as an adult. You know, I, I freaked myself out by reading about this stuff because it's, it's truly terrifying, the idea that uh, that there's some type of supernatural entity that is going to come in your room at night and uh, sweep you away. So I guess in a way it was also kind of cathartic to write, but... You know, it, it's just a subject that I found fascinating. I think kids would like it. Um, it's scary. It's funny. I think kids will relate to it because my main character, Simon, is kind of an outsider. You know, he likes video games. He likes uh, fantasy books. He writes his own fantasy stories. So he's that outsider kid uh-huh. who's uh, bullied a bit. Maybe his parents don't quite understand him. So in a way, I guess it's me. You know, I guess there's a little bit of yourself in every book. But, uh, yeah, just a subject that I really like and thought it would be fun to write and... Uh, one day I wrote about it, and there we have it. Are you are you fascinated <clears throat> on a hypothetical level, or are you actually a believer? Well, I I I, I want to tread carefully because <laughs> I, I'm fascinated. But you know, hey, I'm open to the possibilities because you know you hear lots of things these days about. Uh, you know, it's funny. What's really funny is I was writing this book at the same time that uh, there was a report in the New York Times about this kind of uh, black budget that the Pentagon had to research UFOs. I don't know if you guys heard about it. Yeah. I told you I know way too much about this. <laughs> <laughs> so it's like, it's true, it's proof, it's happening. So that was kind of fuel to, to put into this book, too. So I think the possibility is out there. Obviously, we're a big universe, solar system, other universes. I mean, come on, we can't be the only... Well, there was also there to be some other stuff out there. There was recently an article about incoming sound waves or something. I can't remember exactly what it was. Oh yeah, they were they were finding uh, repeated patterns that could not have been natural. Hey, you never know, man. I mean, That's right. Like, what? <laughs> So many light years to reach of the telegraph saying hello, but it takes like, you know, a billion years. <laughs> so, I would like nothing more than for, like, an Independence Day or, or the arrival. I don't know if you guys saw that yeah. film, which was Oh, really that cool. movie was so good. I would love it for, uh, you know, the day the earth stood still. It would just put all of our petty squabbles aside and, uh, you know, I just think it would be interesting. As long as they don't want to destroy it. Well, I was going to say, you know, like Independence Day <laughs> and all those movies, they just come and they destroy the planet. I would like for them to come yeah. and for us to, like, you know, sit down and talk and learn from one another. Yes. <laughs> I want Captain yes, Marvel to come save knowledge. knowledge. That's right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, we want the knowledge. We want the technology. You know, just don't uh, turn it into... Uh, don't, don't put it in the matrix or whatever. That's right. That's right. <laughs> did, did you do any research for this? Because when I was reading it, you know, when Simon fell into that group of, of other believers, it, it felt like you yeah. you maybe did a little bit of on-the-ground research and talking to other people who yeah. are a little bit more deep into it than you might be. Uh, no, that would be me. Okay. Jamie, <laughs> <laughs> have you never like gone to the SETI website? It's fascinating. <laughs> Yeah, the SETI, there's MUFON, the Mutual UFO Network. Like, you know, it's, uh, I'd never attended any of these meetings or gone to meet up with, you know, X-Files groups, believers or anything, but I know a lot about that subculture, you know, just from books and nonfiction and History Channel, 24-7. Yeah, so that's all they show. That <laughs> mythology, yeah, that mythology, that, 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 
that exists around the whole idea of aliens. It's a huge ecosystem. And, uh, and, and several of the stories or touch points in it are very well known. You know, you've got Roswell in New Mexico. That was the, that's what kicked off the whole UFO thing. You know, you've got other things out there. So, so it's all out there. And I just happen to have absorbed it over so many mm. years of uh, being, being a geek. Yeah. Um, again, not something that you see very often in books. Why Delaware? <laughs> Nobody sets their book in Delaware. <laughs> Isn't that interesting? Isn't that interesting? Uh, uh, what's his name? Uh, M.T. Anderson wrote a book called Jasper Something and the Flame Pits of Delaware. Okay. Like, oh, my God, I should have done that because I grew up there. <laughs> right. Uh, my parents, are, are they, they, my father's in the Air Force and he retired there. And uh, Delaware is a really tiny little state that not too many people know about. It's like, yeah, Delaware. Yeah, that's, I love New England, right? Vermont, New Hampshire, Delaware. It's like, no. <laughs> it's nestled between, you know, you know, uh, uh, Maryland and, and New Jersey, you yeah. know. And uh, Delaware is an interesting place. You know, growing up there, it was weird. There's not a lot going on. But uh, now every time I go there, it's fun because it's a... Uh, one of the few states that has uh, no retail tax, so uh, <laughs> that's why everybody goes bonus. there. <laughs> you know, Delaware is like you know, it's like a uh, David Lynch film, like Blue Velvet. You know, it's got the picket fences and yeah. the the weird kind of edgy, you know, River's Edge. That's another good reference from that film a long time ago. But you know, just a small state with little farm towns, and uh, but you know, with that weirdness underneath. Yeah, you you know, you lived in Delaware. Um, I believe, uh, was it Hoodoo? You've, you lived in Alabama. Um, yeah. And now you live in Baltimore, correct? That's correct. That's correct. See, I'm just down the road. I'm in Howard County. Um, so okay. do you think that you're going to set a book in Baltimore? Because talk about weird. <laughs> yeah, Baltimore does have its own strange charm, that's for sure. Um yeah, you know, before coming here, I was in Chicago for 14 years. I'm glad I'm not there now because of the polar vortex. But uh, Baltimore has a lot of odd stories and a lot of odd history. You know, Edgar Allan Poe is buried here. Mm-hmm. You know, there's, there's lots of strangers. We have John Waters, who's our, our local uh, uh, mayor of weirdness. Yep. The, so, kinetic, uh, the kinetic sculpture race provides. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Great yeah. fodder. <laughs> right. There's a great uh, community of writers here. It's very kind of uh, literary avant-garde history to it. So you never know. I have to wait till that story comes, but uh, yeah, maybe we shall see one day. That'll be great. Um, what what drew you? Because I know you didn't. You you kind of came to writing and writing for children, sort of I quote unquote late in your life. I think a lot of people might mm-hmm. might see it as late. You had an entire career before you you turned to writing full time, but. What drew you to writing this genre, whether it's fantastic fantasy or, or, or science fiction or, or, or any of that? Like, what drew you to that? Well, um, I think it's the stuff I really liked. I mean, as a kid, um, you know, I think the first books that really, really took off for me were Ray Bradbury had these short stories called R is for Rocket and S is mm. for Space, and I devoured those. And that made me read, you know, something Wicked This Way Comes and the Martian Chronicles. And, um, you know, like, I, just like in the book, The, the Owls Have Come to Take Us Away, I was kind of that kid in the back of the classroom with his nose buried in a book when I was supposed to be paying attention. 
So the fantastical has always appealed to me for whatever reason we're drawn to it, you know. Um, you know, I discovered The Lord of the Rings and Narnia and all this stuff. So I think it's what I really, really like to read. Mm-hmm. Um, for a long time, I, I, I fell into a career in advertising uh, as a writer, like a TV writer. I do TV commercials and stuff. And I did that for a very long time. Um, and I kind of put the fiction on hold. Every once in a while, I would try to write a story, and I would send it to the New Yorker or the Paris Review, and I thought I was this kind of literary guy because that's all that's the kind of stuff I was reading. Uh-huh. And I, I guess I was a self, uh, self-described self literary snob. But um, one day, my brother was working at Barnes & Noble, and he said, Hey, Ronnie, that's what my brother called me, Ronnie, <laughs> uh, check out this book, Harry Potter. It's like the books we read when we were kids. So I checked it out, and he said, oh, here's another cool one. This guy, Philip Pullman, his dark materials. And I've seen all these great fantasy books, and I was like, wow. So something clicked, and I was like, maybe I shouldn't be trying to be, you know, this literary dude, this snobby literary guy. I should write the kind of stuff that I liked when I was a kid. And as soon as I discovered that, that's when the voice kind of came for Hootie, the first book, because I, I, I sat down to write, well, I want to, it wasn't like, I'm going to write a kid's book. It's just going to be write, you know, they say write what you know, but put a spin on it. So I just started writing about the South and some of these stories, and, and I wanted to make it fun and scary and have a little black boy be the hero in it. And then it just kind of poured out of me. It's like, oh, I get it. This is what I'm supposed to be doing. You know, mm-hmm. I'm not supposed to be doing navel-gazing for 20 pages. Um, <laughs> you know, I want a story where that you can turn the page, you know, and, and that's how it kind of kicked off. And, uh, you know, I, I just I, I I never thought of myself as a horror writer, but when that book came out, and then my second book, The Mesmer, that's what I was being described as. But I I would say more supernatural or fantastical, yeah. and that's what I'm drawn to in books and films. Yeah, yeah. I don't know that I would call it mesmerist a horror book. It's it's definitely supernatural, obviously. But uh, mm-hmm. I mean, it mm-hmm. t- it touches on the supernatural, it touches on the fantasy. But uh, I, I didn't get so much of a horror twinge from that one. Okay, great, great. Yeah. <laughs> Although there are some horrific things in it. I think there it's are. Pretty gruesome. Um, and, you know, technically I'm a middle grade writer, and I like this category because it's, uh, you know, it's right on the cusp of, of, of growing up. You know, maybe there is a, you know, maybe maybe I will get an owl who will come and give me an invitation to Hogwarts, you know. Maybe there is a, <laughs> a, a Narnia in the back of that closet, you know. But then a year or two after that, you're like, nope, that's not going to happen. <laughs> so there's this little sweet spot where the imagination is still pretty wild. And, and you know, and, and when I when I go to schools and I see these kids and they have so many questions and they're excited, I could see that, you know, that was, I can see how much fun it is for them because that age is, is just full of, full of, full of wonder, you know. Yeah. What do you when th- I was oh, sorry. no sorry go ahead when I was reading um when I was reading hoodoo it felt like it it was a story you know obviously I was reading it to myself because I was out in public but it felt like it had a very sort of out loud rhythm and cadence mm-hmm. do you read out loud to yourself when you're writing and revising well I know all the writer rules say you're supposed to but... <laughs> I would be very tiring to me. <laughs> Sometimes I might read, I might read half a page or one page, or or if I'm at a school or someplace, I'll read you know half a chapter. But it really does. You really can detect the inconsistencies or flaws when you do read aloud. So if anybody's listening who wants to be a writer, well, you should read aloud. <laughs> but but uh, I'm glad to hear you say that because I really. Uh, 
the uh, the audiobook turned out well. And uh, although I didn't read aloud, I think there's a tradition, you know, especially that oral tradition in African American uh, families and culture, you know, to read aloud. So I'm I'm glad to hear that 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 it lends itself well to to that. You mentioned earlier. You mentioned uh, bullying in in the owls have come to take us away, but it's it also pops up in most of your other books um, as a as a theme that comes up that the main character has to deal with. Why is it such a common theme in your work? Hmm. Well, that's interesting. I don't think I've ever been asked that before. Um, well, you know, I guess it's tough, right? You know. I'm sure I was picked on a little bit as a kid. I don't remember. Like I've already told you, I barely remember anything about those days. But, but uh, I think it's a fairly common thing, you know, and I think kids can relate to it. And, uh, you know, if you're bullied or picked on, you know, it spurs you on to, to, to do something usually um, to better yourself. So I think it can be a great way to uh, have an inciting incident happen or it's just a real moment in children's lives that they can probably relate to. Um, if they haven't been bullied, maybe somebody else they know, you know, has been bullied. Um, I think, I mean, God, the stories you hear these days, I mean, I can't imagine. The, yeah. I mean, it's just so bad, you know, it's, it's really bad. But but I don't know, I never really thought about it as a common theme. I'll have to think about that more, but I think it's just a, probably because it's so much in the, in the air, you know, we hear about it so much and, and, Growing up is tough, and you know you want to put your character through some struggles, and hopefully they'll find themselves. So that's one of the ways you can do it, I suppose. Yeah. Another common theme, I guess, but and it's not specific to your books, but to to so much of children's storytelling, whether it's fiction or films or or TV or what have you, is is this separation of the child um, main character from his or her parents. Um, you know, Disney all, always gets the bad rap that, you know, they, they kill the parents right away. But it's it, whether or not the parents die or or there's just some other physical separation, it is a very common, um, I, I want to say trope, but it is a very common theme yeah. in, in children's quest stories. Do yeah, you yeah. feel, as a storyteller who has done this in your own books, is that... Is that critical to telling these stories? Do, 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 do children really need to be separated and sort of thrust out on their own in order to have this adventure and have this story? But additionally, in these quest stories, it's not only that they're separated. It's like all of these kids are paying for something that their parents did. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's, that's rough. Yeah. Yeah, that's, uh, that's really interesting. Um, you know... Some stories, you know, I mean, it's, 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 it's interesting because you want the, the, the kid to be the hero and, and find their own answers. I remember an early draft of Hoodoo when I was still writing for a sign with my agent. She said, oh, the adults are helping too much, you know. Hmm. So I had to go back and say, okay, well, he needs to make these decisions. My character needs to make these decisions. I think... Um, Overall, sometimes in middle grade and YA, it's easier just to get the, the parents out of the story so mm-hmm. you can tell the kid's story, the kid's point of view. <clears throat> Excuse me. But in Hoodoo, I guess, you know, they, they, they are kind of carrying on something that their parents started or some, some type of uh, ghost that has haunted a parent. 
that uh, the, the child is going to have to take up because of the parents' uh, missteps or whatever. Mm-hmm. So I guess that just kind of adds an extra layer somewhat. You know, it, it provides, you know, uh, uh, space for, uh, I have to do this because this is what my mother or father wants me to do, or I have to avenge them, or I have to get out of the situation because of them. I guess it just creates more tension, more more kind of dynamic situations to have some type of internal conflict with a parent figure, which many kids probably do. Um, in the latest book, the parents are there, and they're, they're integral to the story. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean, you're right, it is a trope for the most part. You know, parents are like, oh, it happened over summer vacation, or, you know, we were in, you know, you're in boarding school and where yeah. the story happened. So, yeah, that's the, that's the thing that, that children's literature writers always have to figure out is what to do with the parents. And it's, so it, I guess I've tried to keep them in the story and make them part of the story, at least to an extent, you know. Yeah. It's interesting because so much of the time the parents are either sidelined or pushed out of the way, but then another parental figure comes in to help guide the protagonist. Uh, uh, yeah, true. That's true. That's true. That is so true. You know, and yeah, you, I mean, I think you need sometimes you you sometimes need some kind of touch points to help guide steer the story along. You know? mm-hmm. um, and this other this other authority type figure or mentor or mage or whatever can can fill in that gap of a parental type of figure. Um, but 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 be but be a part of the world that the young character knows. It's not the the, the clueless parent or the parent that doesn't know anything. It's like, no, you've been, you've been, you know, inducted into this secret order, and now you have to, you know, join us or whatever. So, so yeah, those are all interesting ways to tell stories, and you know, um, yeah, yeah. I'm just, I'm thinking about it from a realistic perspective now. Like, I'm wondering, will my kids just never listen to me and, and seek out somebody else that they're going to trust a lot more than me? <laughs> Is that just the way that kids do things? <laughs> uh, yeah, well, I don't know. I don't listen to you. I mean, I don't have any kids. So, you know, it's, so, it, it's, uh, it's interesting because, um, you know, uh, a lot of writing is, guesswork and things you know in your head and things you know from friends and family and TV shows and movies and books. So you're always trying to figure out the most dynamic way to, to tell a story and who, you know, who's playing the, the role in it. You know, what are the parents doing? Are they really important to the story? You know, can they play a, a part? So I'm trying to think of some other examples of some books that there were parents are totally in the picture, but right now, and I'm scanning my bookshelf, I can't think of it. Well, I mean, Black Panther's a really interesting example because he's so close to his father and then has to, yeah. after his father's death, has, has to come to the term, yeah. has to come to terms with the fact that maybe his yeah. father is not who he thought he was. So yeah. they don't yeah, have it. as much of a chance at reconciliation as somebody whose parents are still alive. Right, that's a good example in the Black Panther that you're absolutely right, and 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 in the Young Prince, the Black Panther that I did, uh, you know, the young T'Challa is is sent away by mm-hmm. by uh, his father for his own protection. So that that felt real, you know, you know, like you have to leave Wakanda for your own safety. Um, so that's a situation where the parents. You know, the authority figure is doing something that's 
removing yeah. him. He's removing so himself from the story. Right. Yeah. Right. 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 Yeah. Well, let's talk about that for a second since it came up. How did that originally come about? Like, how did did, did Marvel come to you for that story, or or how did that? How did you guys get hooked up? Well, I called him up on the phone. I said, "Hey, can I write this book?" <laughs> I didn't know it was that easy. <laughs> They're like, "Hey, Ron. Hey, how's it going?" Man? <laughs> no, uh, I was very fortunate and lucky. I got this call from my agent, and. Uh, she said, are you sitting down? I said, no one. And she said, hey, Marvel wants you to write it. And then I picked myself up off the floor. And I said, really? <laughs> so, yeah, it was awesome. I guess they liked some of what they read uh, from my other books. And I, I was just really fortunate to get the opportunity to do it. I was totally freaked out, of course, because, yeah. you know, it's Marvel slash Disney. It's a big, a big company. And there's so much, you know, equity invested into that whole universe. And. But the thing that was cool about it was, you know, all of the uh, all of the world already existed. You know, Wakanda existed. You know, the characters exist. What am I going to do with it? I just need to tell a story of the young T'Challa. So um, the world building was there. I just had to create a, what mm-hmm. I would hope to be a dynamic story and put him in it as a young kid. How did that experience, though, like because you were playing in somebody else's sandbox, you didn't necessarily have yeah. to create your main characters or your your world in which they lived. You know, how did that compare to writing your own story, where you do have to sit down and, and either outline your your characters and where they come from, even though it might never appear on the mm-hmm. page? Yeah, it was very strange to begin with, um, because I'm not much of an outliner to begin with. Mm-hmm. Um, I just kind of go where the stories taking me and then I kind of figure it out as I, as I write it um, but you know they wanted an outline a synopsis and I was like oh my god how am I going to do this <laughs> somehow I figured it out <laughs> so so it took a while you know it took a couple chapters to start feeling the the world even though I knew it because I was familiar with the graphic novels and the comic books I wasn't like a super fan from the time I was a kid but I certainly knew about it and read a few things so for a moment or two, it felt like this isn't mine. But once I started having my young characters speaking, T'Challa and Mbaku, and then I created some other characters at the school that he goes to, it's like, oh, now I'm writing, now I'm writing my story with them. the Black Panther just yeah. happens to be in it, you know? So it felt easier. Starting off was a little rough. Like, how do I navigate this world? But once, once I kind of knew what the story was and the plot's happening, then it's just, it starts rolling. But uh, I'm almost glad that I was not more of a, uh, geek about Black Panther. I mean, I, I love, I love it. Don't get me wrong, but I think if I had been even a super, you know, geek about it, then it would have been even harder because yeah. it's like it's almost like some kind of stage fright. Like, how could I possibly write this, you know, this thing that I've loved since I was ten years old? It's like asking somebody who's a complete Star Wars not to write a Star Wars book. Right. Um, I was listening to your interview with, with Chuck Wendig, and, and I found that interesting. You know, so so it was a fun opportunity i really liked uh, writing the book and uh, i mean geez, yeah what a, what a great opportunity you probably got a lot more feedback and notes from the publisher than you would on one of your own books though right well uh well, actually, not one of your original books i should say it's still one of your own books yeah yeah yeah, yeah. <clears throat> i get, I get, uh the editor uh hannah allman uh, she was fantastic. And, uh, you know, I had a conference call with them early on when we set things up and they said, hey, anything you need, we'll send you materials, comic books, whatever. 
Of course, I ask for everything um, <laughs> for research purposes. Of course, of course. But they were cool. No, they let me do my thing. They just they just wanted it to. They just wanted to make sure that it felt like the world they created. You know, yeah. it's, it's, you know, can we put the marble stamp on this? And um, so, no, the notes weren't really extensive. I mean, once I knew what I wanted to do and uh, and uh, just went for it, they were cool to work with. The Disney folks were cool. Um, so it was really more just kind of editorial, like, uh, let's, let's, let's tweak this plot point here or there. But, yeah. uh, I think there was one thing I tried that maybe was felt like another Marvel storyline that was too close to, but I wasn't aware of it. So we said, oh, okay, we can't go down that road. I don't okay. remember what it was, mm. but, <laughs> yeah. It, is, it didn't it, want any redundancy in this, you know? Is that something that you think you would... I mean, are you open to that again, playing in somebody else's sandbox, writing for an IP that exists? Uh, let me think about that. <laughs> yes. <laughs> if I have the time. I mean, also, you know, the, the, they're these big companies, and they, they have a lot of, you know, what's the, what's the cliche? Fires in the oven, fires in the oven, whatever it is. Yeah. So there's a lot of stuff they're doing. So yeah, it's like I'm, I, you know, I, I would, I would, I would love to. I, I just need some time, you know. Yeah. Uh, my, my 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 main publisher, uh, Houghton Mifflin, you know, they they said, yeah, cool, go for it. So they they gave me a little time to push back on one of their deadlines. Nice. Um, but I yeah, I'd love to uh, to to write more in that universe or others. Yeah. Correct me if I'm wrong, but you were writing the um, the Black Panther book while the film was still in development, right? Um, I think so. I think I was. Yeah. Did they Did they let you in on any of the secrets from the film, so you wouldn't contradict anything? Uh, <laughs> no. At first, I thought it was going to be some type of adaptation, which I'm sure is out there of yeah. the film. But no, it was an original story. Yeah. They, they didn't give you any plot details. Um. The closest I got to, to to touching that world was being invited to a screening somewhere before it launched, before it premiered nationwide, worldwide. But I couldn't go because I had a commitment to a, some other literary festival. Oh no! <laughs> <laughs> it's like, oh man, I want to be on the red carpet, man. Chadwick. Yeah, who doesn't want to do so, that? That was like your yeah, golden really. ticket. <laughs> Yeah, I go in there and do the Wakanda Forever arms crossing. Like, get this guy out of here! <laughs> apparently, he's so maybe one day. Yeah, I was gonna say. Apparently, I, I this this was my, might have been a nasty rumor, but I heard that he's tired of doing that now because so oh many because everybody yeah. just comes up to him yeah. and does it. <laughs> yeah, I saw one on social media where he had the Wakanda, but his face was saying, "Please don't ask me to do this." Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm sure he's like, like, yeah, it's like, yeah, this is great. It's like, okay, let me see. I've done this 90,000 million Yeah. <laughs> the first week or so was awesome, and now it's like, okay, let's do something else. <laughs> Until right. the second movie comes out. That's right. Yeah, I can't wait for that. Yeah. What else are you working on at the moment? You have a short story coming out in an anthology called The Hero Next Door. Is that correct? Yeah. Yeah, nice. We do our homework. Yeah. <laughs> All right. <laughs> yeah, this is uh, called The Hero Next Door, and it's from uh, Crown, uh, Random House Children's Books, and uh, it's got a lot of great authors. It's in conjunction with We Need Diverse Books, 
and uh, lots of great authors, William Alexander, Lamar Giles, Ellen O, R.J. Palacio, Legacy Park, Anna Dobbin. I'm going to read them all. Mm-hmm. Ronald Smith, Rita Williams Garcia, lots of great people. Um, and it's just about, uh, you know, it's called The Hero Next Door, and it's just, what does that mean? You know, give us a short story that, that shows that shows kids uh, doing heroic things. You know, there are different ways to be heroes, and uh, we want to see them for a diverse audience. So I think it's really, really cool. And it was a lot of fun to, to write. And I haven't written a short story in a long time, so it was a, it was a lot of fun. When does it come out? That's uh, in, in July, actually, of this year. Like, and then I've got another book in 2020 coming out, too. Is it all? Is it is is the new book um, also sp- um, supernatural in in flavor? Oh yes, you betcha. <laughs> uh, it's called uh, Gloom Town, and uh, Gloom Town is the story of uh, it's a fantasy, and it's got uh, it's about a town called Gloom, and the sun never shines there. And uh, there's a reason for that. And uh, there's a creepy mansion called Foxglove Manor. And there are these black sea mariners. And there's a carnival and, and lots of scary, creepy stuff. But it's a true fantasy uh, that I really like. And I think it'll be a lot of fun. Um, and that book really took off in a whole different direction where it's very, it has this very kind of sea. Uh, Sea world to it, you know. It, it's kind of the backdrop is, is, is very nautical, I should say. Hmm. But uh, that'll be fun. That's not out till twenty twenty. So, uh, oh. but yeah. So I'm, I'm booked up for a while, having fun. That's a good problem to have, right? Yeah, yes, yeah, <laughs> I'm sure that's for sure. <laughs> um, it's a, it sounds amazing. I, I kind of don't want to wait a whole year for it, but I know. Um, that has every element that my children yeah. like in a book that it is being read to them still. So. <laughs> oh, good. Good. We'll make sure we get you back an advanced copy. Oh, yay. <laughs> <laughs> um, you mentioned something there. I just want to ask real quickly. You, know, you said it went off in a direction that you weren't expecting. Is that because you say you're not a big outliner? Does that happen a lot as you're writing, that a story just sort of ends up in a place you didn't expect? Mm-hmm. Yes, indeed. And you guys have probably heard this one before, but, you know, George R. R. Martin, of course, says there are two types of writers, right? There's the, the, the architect and the gardener, right? Yeah. The architect knows the blueprints and the foundation of the house and blah, blah, blah. You can always go. And then there's the gardener who's just blowing seeds here and throwing seeds there and seeing what blooms up and which path to take. I'm the gardener type. So I'll have an idea in my head. It's like, you know, <clears throat> okay, there's this little black kid. And he's in the South, and it's the 1930s, and, oh, it's hoodoo. Oh, it's African-American folk magic. Okay, yeah, let's see. So I'll start writing, and then, okay, let's see. These 50 pages are awesome. What happens now? <laughs> and then, and once you've kind of got the, a little bit of the world, a little bit of the voice, you've got some of the characters, then it just kind of opens up, and you can kind of go down these different paths and see what works for you. Um, and I don't really start outlining or kind of laying down beats until the story's developing because it's saying, okay, now it starts, it has to really start making sense and, you know, following a certain kind of narrative. But I've tried to, to outline, and it's just not, um, I can write down some bullet points, but, yeah. but, you know, I have friends who've got Scribner and they've got the post-it notes on the wall and they know scene by scene. It's like, I, 
I, I can't, I can't do that. <laughs> Does, I almost wish I could because it would, I think it might be helpful, but because yeah. you get stuck. You know, well, being a gardener, sometimes you get stuck and you go down the wrong path. As I was going to ask, does it ever lead you to a dead end that you got to like, uh, like, okay, well, those 20 pages are great, but I can't use them yeah. because they're not going to help the story. Yeah. Yeah, you might be able to save some, save some lovely turns of phrase, but, uh, but that, that, that was a, a, a dead end or a wrong road to take. So that's, what, that's, that's when you start uh, saying, okay, well, we've got this much so far. What can happen from here? And that's when I start maybe putting down some bullet points or yeah. some other avenues that the story can take. Um, but I, I like the freedom of not knowing where it's going, um, like like in Gloomtown, you know. Um, so yeah, it, it, it's fun to to discover it as you're writing it. Yeah. Well, whatever you're doing seems to be working for you, so don't stop. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, Shiri, did you want to ask your 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 final question? Oh, I do. Okay. Do so it. this has nothing to do with writing. Um, <laughs> Jamie and I are doing, um, for Jamie's blog that I also write for, we're doing a challenge this year where we bake 50 cookies between the two of us that we've never baked before. Oh what is your favorite <laughs> cookie? Wow. <laughs> um, I have to say, it is so. I've, I've never really stopped thinking about it, but I think I might have to say, like a nice, warm oatmeal raisin. Okay. I, you know, in I, all I honesty, like I think... Chocolate chip. Yeah, I would think like chocolate chip for a second or a sugar cookie. But uh, if you have a really good oatmeal raisin, mmm. Okay. Yeah. I, don't, no. I don't make oatmeal raisin that often. I, I do. I do. Because so. it's my favorite cookie also. I know a lot of people think uh, raisins and cookies is is sacrilege and terrible, but you know, a good oatmeal raisin cookie, that's like, you know, not, it can't be crunchy. It's got to be like soft and, and um, like you said, like a little bit warm. Mm, Nothing's better. I'm okay with them as long as I know that they're coming. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I don't like surprise raisins. (laughs) I I was at this festival and, Harbor Springs, Michigan, and there was this tiny little baker. And a, oh, it was called Mom's Cookies or something. Okay. It was this tiny little house, and you just you, you smell it before you get there. Oh my God, they were the most insane cookies oh. ever. They were just so delicious, oh, just unbelievable. But but yeah, so now I'm hungry for cookies. Yeah, I know. Me too. Now I gotta go find some cookies, and I don't know what we have in the house. <laughs> This has been the Great Big Beautiful Podcast. You can find us online at thegbbpodcast.com and on Twitter and Facebook at thegbbpodcast. Thanks again for subscribing and listening. We really do appreciate it. And until next week, I am Jamie Green, and you can find me at The Roarbots. Take care. Take care.